Scott. I think um, many of you may know, but Scott um, just has been here a long time. He served as an elder in our church for a long time. He and his wife, Cindy, provide great examples of a godly couple. Um, he just is a great godly man, and, and he's taken a, a respite from our elder team this coming year. He's not leaving. He's not mad. He just needs a break. I just got here. and he's, There he goes. God is a great man. I love him. I cherish him, and I hope you do too. And it, not to be panicked, people take a break from the elder team, and that's God's plan. We all take a, a break from time to time. So I just want you to encourage Scott, encourage Cindy, um, let them know how much we appreciate it. I'm going to encourage the rest of our elders. Uh, we're hopefully going to have a new elder today. We have uh, Wayne, and we have Joe. And we have Jonah, so if you guys would stand up if you're here. I think Wayne is here, and I know Jonah is because I can see him, and I think Joe is in the nursery. These are the men, and Scott, if you would stand again. These are the men that lead us and are challenged with the decisions that we want to make and the places we want to go and the vision we want to have. And I just thank God for them, everyone. So I would like you to... Do the same thing. For the next. And then I think you should accept Scott's challenge to come to lunch and get your chance to put your hand on their shoulder and just pray for them individually. And I want to think there's a pile of women in this group that went and um, decorated my office. I haven't had a decorated office um, since they dug the Illinois River. <laughs> but these ladies knocked it out of the park. It was amazing. I, I walked in and I was just stunned, and I want to thank you very much for that. I just want to tell you how much, it, how much it impressed me and how much it meant to me. So I'm very thankful. And you're all welcome to come and visit, and then we can have an interview while you're there. Or time to get to know one another. What was the thing about, Dane said something about no complaining about Christmas music. Does anybody complain about Christmas music? Okay, I just thought I'd ask. This morning I want to open the second truth. We talked last week about the truth that Christmas began in the Garden of Eden. And then we talked about all the aspects, well not all the aspects, but a lot of the aspects of that and what it could involve. And so I want to bring us to uh, Luke chapter 2 this morning, if you would open your Bible there, if you have it. I'm going to have parts of it on the, on the screen here in a little bit, but I'd just like you to open it, and I'm going to read the first few verses just to get us started in the right direction. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Now, in those days, a decree went out from, the, from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, 
to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. That passage, those first seven verses of Luke 2, uh, surfaces a few questions that we, uh, as people of the word, of people of intellect, want to know, what's going on? I mean, I I read chapter 1, and I, that's kind of scary too, but I read chapter 2, and suddenly uh, there's a, a census going on, and David, or not David, but Joseph and Mary are going to the census in Bethlehem and they're not even married. Um, Matthew says that uh, after he heard the message from the angel, he got up and did what the angel said and Matthew reports that he took Elizabeth as his wife. So there may be some question about that. Were they married or were they not married? But for the purpose of this morning, let's just say they're not married. So here we have uh, a woman that is pregnant, a man that is not her husband, and they're on their road to Bethlehem for the census because Joseph was of the house of David. And when you read those two uh, genealogies, one in Matthew, one in Luke, you see that uh, the, the genealogy is very meticulous. It talks about each step from the mother's side and from the father's side. And that was the way the Jews carried things. They, they remembered, they kept records of everything. I could not go back more than three generations before me for my family. I don't know how many of the rest of you could, but they knew back to Adam, many of them. At least back to the time of the formation of the nation of Israel, they knew that. So they began this journey together. um, And there was a baby going to be born. And a baby that had received the promise through Mary from God, that he would be born and he would be called Jesus. And he would be known as Emmanuel, God with us, God the Son. And he had already decided, if you read through the Old Testament, you read uh, through Hebrews, he had already decided that he would come and do the Father's will. And the Father's will was that this, this boy be born and he would go to the cross and he would take the punishment for the sins of the world, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. And sometimes it's hard if you just came in this morning, and this is the first time you've ever heard anything from the Bible. This is the key to understanding the Bible. That Jesus came to live a perfectly sinless life, which we call him the second Adam, the first Adam came and didn't live a perfectly sinless life. Jesus came and did everything that the Father asked him to do, and the first Adam didn't. And Jesus came and was perfect so that when he did die for us, he would be a perfect, unblemished, unstained offering to God for us. And what he did was... Everyone who believes in him, their sins are forgiven. And what that means is 
you don't have to stand before the throne of God, the King of Kings, and give an account for your sins because the penalty has already been paid. When we talk about being saved, we're talking about you're saved from the wrath of God. You're not saved from the devil. You're not, well, you are that too, but you're not saved from anything else, anything more significant than we're saved from the wrath of God. Talk about a Christmas gift. When we walk in the newness of being one of Christ's children, because we have trusted in him by faith, we are saved. The answers to many questions about Christmas will be given at the proper time, not necessarily in this message, but those answers will be majestic, they'll be humbling, they'll be amazing, they will be mysterious, and God will open our minds to understand them as it is time for us to do that. The key to remember through the Christmas story is God is in control of everything. Everything. And when you see the magnitude of what's happening here, you say, if God can do this, my problems seem very minor, insignificant, if you will, compared to what God can accomplish. They were going to Bethlehem. And why Bethlehem? Because Bethlehem was the home of David. And Bethlehem, before that, was the home of uh, when uh, Rebekah was buried. Bethlehem was a great city of about 400 or 500 people, much like Princeton. Okay, I'll give up on that one. Bethlehem was a small town. It was a Bethlehem Ephratah, which was meant that it was the house of bread. It was the place where David was raised. And I believe in God and his mercy was pointing to the fact that he had made a promise to David and he was fulfilling that promise as he came forward and that the, the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior would be born in Bethlehem to continue the legacy and the line of David. And in fact, he predicted it about eight centuries before Jesus when he had the prophet Micah write, but as for you, Bethlehem Ephratah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. It was, a tri- it was a city in the tribe of Judah, but it was just a really small place. For you, From you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. The small city of Judah would raise a large person, an important person, Christ the Savior. And it, the question we have to ask is if when Joseph and Mary were married or became betrothed or engaged or however they adopted their relationship at this moment in, in Nazareth, how were they going to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem? You just didn't call up the Holiday Inn or someplace and make an overnight reservation. And, and you just didn't plan to set off with your um, unmarried wife or your unmarried girlfriend or Joseph with Mary. I mean, it would look very poor. It would look bad on both of them. Here she was pregnant, which was not a good thing, and here they were on their way to Bethlehem. And they didn't live in Bethlehem. But God had a plan. And though Mary had a scandalous pregnancy, she and Joseph were 
you know, they weren't even allowed to talk to one another if they were just still betrothed without someone else being there. They were not allowed to touch. I kind of hope Matthew was right myself, but it says in Luke chapter 2, verses 4 and 7, 4 through 7 that we read, Joseph went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to, the, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, located about seven miles south of Jerusalem. But he was of the house, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for him at the inn. Isaiah prophesied seven centuries before this that, Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son. And he will, call, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then Micah prophesies that it will be born in Bethlehem. And so there's, there's this prophecy and there's this prophecy. And how are they going to work together? Who can work that out? God can. And an imposed census by Caesar Augustus, who was an unbelieving ruler. Quirinius, who was a governor of Syria, was an unbelieving governor. And they imposed a census, which meant that you had to go to your place of registration or your family's place where you uh, were supposed to be and sign up and say, yes, I'm there, I'm here, I have a wife, I have children if I have any but in Joseph and Mary's case it wasn't for any of that it was for the fact that God said his son would be born in Bethlehem to Mary who was a virgin and Joseph would be known as his father even though he had nothing to do with it how would they get to Bethlehem well, Mary's due date was obviously coming closer, and they could figure that part out, so they decided to take a camel, uh, not a camel, but a donkey. A donkey, it's about 70-plus miles from Nazareth over the mountains to Bethlehem on a donkey. Now, anybody that's ever been pregnant, which I have not, that might be very uncomfortable. Can I get a witness? would be very uncomfortable and yet Mary did that and it may take three days and this was if they were just engaged they had a lot of rules of, of propriety and protocol that they had to observe but they somehow made it they went over the mountains they came to Bethlehem which was packed with people who were also descended from David there was no place for them to stay except in a stable with the animals and the smells and that's where the child king would be born. That's the last place that we would have gone looking for. That would be like going out into a barn that they've been uh, combining corn all day. And they drive the, the combine in there and it still smells of oil and smells of corn and those kind of things. And it's put in the, put in the, 
the barn. And the farmer leaves and there's corn husk around and smells and oil. That's where the Savior was born. Only it was an animal place and the smells were animal smells. And the hay and the different things that animals do in a barn, a stall. But that was the place that God said it would happen. That was the way it was going to happen. How could they get to Bethlehem? Well, they went to Bethlehem. They're there. It was an overcrowded inn. There was no place for them to stay. But God would triumph in Mary's story. God started back in Genesis 3, and he was not finished, and he was not going to fail while he was working out his plan to redeem us. God had a plan. It was a perfect plan. It doesn't seem perfect to us when we look at the barn and we think about it. I mean, we all can imagine what we could smell in that barn. We can all imagine what it would be like taking a 70-mile trip on a donkey. It was a struggle. Bethlehem was in chaos because there were so many people there for the Lord or for the registration for this census. And the baby was to be called Emmanuel. So how could he be born in that barn? Well, it was simple. God orchestrated the events so that Mary and Joseph were staying in the barn and there. Mary's time came to fulfillment. And Mary had a baby. Mary had a baby who was named Emmanuel. And you can, depending on which uh, language you're translating, you can spell Emmanuel with a capital E or a capital I. Same word, same thought. Just which proclivity you have for Hebrew or for Latin for Greek and Emmanuel was born and I think it's important to see what uh, God says in Exodus chapter 33 verse 18 I'm going to read it it's on the screen here Moses said to the people I pray or he said to God he was up on the mountain with God and he'd been up there a number of days and he said to God I pray show me your glory And God said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. And Moses is probably saying, okay, I'm ready for it. And then God said, but you, you cannot see my face for no man can see me and live. Nobody's seen God's face. John says in John 1.18, as he's analyzing these, these first days of Jesus, he said, no one, Jesus says, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten of God who is in the bosom of the Father, Jesus, he has explained him. It was holy writ that man did not see God's face and live. Isaiah fell on his knees Not any man, not Moses, not any man. But a woman did. Mary was able to touch the face of God. I I mentioned this last week. 
as she had the baby and she wrapped him in cloths. She held her baby and she cleaned him up and she she kissed him and she held him and she poured out a mother's love on that baby right there. It was precious. It was dear. God was there. Mary saw God and touched God. And the beauty was that others would see him. They would eat with him. They would talk to him. They would walk with him. But he was fully man so that he could fully represent God to man. And so that he could be the exact person that God wanted to pay the penalty for sin. So that's kind of hard stuff. I I mean, the, the nice thing is he was born. And Joseph's first words were, he, did he say, Daddy? You guys can laugh. I mean, this is a fun story. She was having a baby in a barn, in a cave. A baby named Emmanuel. And for every stage of the maturity that he grew after that, Jesus was a person, a human, and Mary knew that better than anyone else. How would Mary respond? My Savior, she called him in her famous song, my Savior. Mary loved him and knew him, had heard him speak, and we haven't seen his face, but Mary has. And he says that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And through his words, we see him. Through his words, we see him. We see him as a, in a mirror, frosty and dark and whatever, but we do see God in his word. Mary was stunned. She was overwhelmed. One day, though, Paul says we will one day see him face to face. And we will know him face to face. Emmanuel, Mary had Emmanuel. God with us. And in a short time, I just want to say to you this. The prophecy of Micah 5.2 was fulfilled. Christ was born in Bethlehem. Christ the eternal one, Christ the ancient of days. Isaiah said, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son. And she will call his name Emmanuel. Mary recognized. She knew that Jesus was God with her. And Matthew confirms that Jesus was born to a virgin. He says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 22 and following, he says, Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Jesus awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. There was no discriminating, no distinguishing that she wasn't a virgin. Virgin is the way Joseph kept her. Virgin was the way she was recognized. 
Virgin was an amazing part of the story. And you can play with the words a little bit in the Greek and in the Hebrew, and you can say, well, maybe it was just an unmarried woman. Uh, let me just challenge you on that. This, that's a bogus assumption. God used the right word for virgin in the Hebrew, in the Greek. A woman that had never lain with a man. Jesus entered our world not like a human, but he was a human. He had laid aside his robe of divinity and put on the, the rags of humanity to come to do the Father's will and rescue us from our sins. And it was an angel chorus that sang. And I know there's some people that say the angel chorus never sang. I just can't imagine a big gaggle of angels and no music. When we get together to talk about Jesus, sooner or later we start singing, don't we? I'm pretty sure, I'm not positive, I don't want to add to the scripture. The scripture says in Luke chapter 2, verse 13, And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace among men with whom he is well pleased. And when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. They knew the scripture. They knew the angels said Bethlehem. They were gone to Bethlehem. And this is different with the first Adam. Who was there when the first Adam was thrown out of the garden? There was an angel there, but that angel had a flaming sword. Here the angels are saying, this is a sign for you. He's born in Bethlehem, and the shepherds packed up their rucksacks, grabbed their Twinkies, and they headed that way. They raced to see Jesus, their long-awaited Savior, and they never questioned the angels. Isn't that amazing? They're not stupid. These are shepherds, and they're very smart. You have to be very smart to handle sheep. Sheep bite. <laughs> what are y'all laughing about? So they, they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told him about, them about this child. The angels came, and they told us about Jesus, and they said, he's been born in Bethlehem, and we're coming to see him. And all those who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds finally left and went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as they had been told, that justice had been told them. Joni Erickson Tata, if you know her, she's a Christian writer. She said, God coming to earth as a baby? That's as incredible as fitting an oil tanker into a bathtub or a 747 into your garage. No, it's even more astounding. Christmas may be God's greatest miracle of all, and every boy and girl should be able to know why. God with us.
is the key. Christmas. Jesus, God saves. The God among us, and why we know why? Because we want to know that the God who we claim to be God, who is God, he knows all. He has created everything. He establishes the rules of the universe. John said, and he has created everything that has been created. And nothing has been created that was not created by him that was created. Hmm. Jesus healed the sick, fed the hungry, raised the dead, changed our lives because we trusted in him. He was with us because he is our Emmanuel. And if your life is too difficult today, just go home, read this story again. Think about this. If God can orchestrate from the beginning of time, from the garden, all the way some um, probably 4,000 years later to the birth of a baby in a manger in Bethlehem, can he handle my problems? Can he set my feet on a solid foundation? He can, and he will, and he might not do it at my time. He might do it at his time. Well, actually, I think he will. The only requirement for us to have a life that is not too difficult, that Jesus cannot control, well, we, we have a life that is not too difficult, and Jesus can tr control all the difficulties. And the only requirement is he puts one little stipulation the stipulation is simply this you must believe in me Jesus as your savior and lord you must turn from your sinful ways and turn to my way and then he says and whoever believes in me shall not perish but have everlasting life That's so simple. That's so clear. There's no confusion. God is not a God of confusion. If he could plan and organize a betrothal and a birth and a reason to go to Bethlehem over 800 years before, then I can be very confident that he has my situation well in hand, and so can you. I believe Christmas is a time to know God is with us. And when we believe in him, God's life was full of many delightful, wonderful things. And he suffered the greatest disappointments and the greatest indignities. And many of us have those experiences. He was one of us. He was a human, fully God, fully human. Joyful delights and unspeakable difficulties. And God knows us. And he loves us. And he is with us if we believe in him. And some say that, I don't need God. That's just a crutch. That's bogus. Oldest book recorded, verified in many ways, says that we all need God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
this Christmas, I just challenge you to make sure that you are walking with him, that you have surrendered your life to Christ. And if you have, I challenge you to say, I'm doing a good job or I'm not good doing a good job and have a conversation with the Lord, just you and him in prayer and tell him how you feel about it. He has never met a mess, a mess, that's Texan for mess. He has never met a mess that he couldn't make better. And the deeper the mess, the harder he works for those who love him and who are called according to his name. And Christmas, it's especially nice because we're reminded that he, he sticks out his arms like this and he says, welcome home. The baby that was in a manger now offers us the greatest consolation ever. He will be with you forever. It says in Hebrews 13, He will be with you forever, and He will never leave you nor forsake you, and you will never walk alone. Emmanuel. We have so much to contemplate and cherish, don't we? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you this morning. I, I pray that you would take the words that I've spoken and unscramble them so that the meaning is clear. I pray that you would help each one of us reflect on the fact that Emmanuel came to Mary in a manger, in a cave, in an animal stall. And yet if we believe in his name, he dwells with us forever. Emmanuel, help us to remember, Lord. Help us to remember how you orchestrated and you answered each question. Where, when, how, who. And all we can do now is fall on our knees and say, He is worthy. Cry holy. praise you, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.